We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, he's back from his vacation. It's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today, sports media group of 95.7 The Game. Kyle, how was Hawaii, man? It was fantastic. It was, I've never been outside the mainland United States before, so it was an entirely like new experience for me. Like even just flying in, I was I was super touristy the whole time. I'm taking pictures of everything, every plant I see. I'm stopping and staring at it because it's exotic and something I've never seen before. Never like a palm tree. I've seen palm trees. Like who hasn't, right? But just the random like shrubbery on the side of the road. I'm like, stop the car. Need to investigate. One gripe I have with Hawaii though. Yeah. Very tough to beat the heat there. <laughs> it is. That is true. Having been there before, humble brag. Um, yeah, it's hot. You, you, it's like right. It's hot. It's it's humid, but being inside feels wrong. Like oh, sitting totally. in sitting in the hotel room. I, my my girlfriend and and her folks were nice enough to take me, and they they don't spend a lot of time in the hotel room, which is the correct way to do Hawaii. Mm-hmm. But I was sunburned. I sweat a lot. It was it was tough, but um, you know, if I'm not beating the heat, I'd way rather be doing it there than in Sacramento. 
That's a great point. Uh, I'm I'm glad you mentioned taking time to to look at all the plants and and all the different things that you see in Hawaii that you don't see here because I think that's sort of how I feel about looking at this 49ers team right now. Like the 49ers are good and they might actually be one of the best teams in the NFL good and they really just beat the hell out of the Browns on Monday Night Football 31 to 3. Uh, they had 275 yards rushing, but I think they really won the game defensively. Nick Bosa was a complete monster, and it was his coming out party. And, and the more I thought about the game going into it, the more I realized like the Browns' offensive line is a real problem, and we haven't seen the full Nick Bosa unleashed yet. And coming off the bye week, the fact that he is a little bit more healthy off that ankle injury there was a real opportunity for Bosa to make a lot of hay against Cam Robinson, and that's exactly what he did. Um, talked to Nick Bosa on, on Friday, and I asked him, because it just popped into my head, the, the Baker Mayfield thing about Oklahoma in 2017, and I was like, I totally forgot about it. I was like, do you, do you still think about that? And then he looks at me, he goes, oh, yeah. And, uh, and we had a little conversation about it. And needless to say, I wasn't at all surprised to see Bosa celebrate with that flag waving and, and the, the flag planting thing that he did, uh, mocking Mayfield when, when he forced that, that uh, uh, intentional grounding penalty at the last play of the first half, which really sort of cemented where the game went. And then the 49ers came out, of course, and scored a touchdown on the first possession in so the- real quick, let me cut you off. Let me cut you off. Okay. You were privy to the flag celebration and didn't tell anyone? I can't confirm or deny that. Um, but that's why you knew it for oh oh. <laughs> um ooh, here I am thinking you're super observant and you cheated. Sorry, keep going. The 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 Friday when well, I act technically it was Saturday, I should say. Uh, the the last open locker room of the week is typically the longest because the team had practice. There isn't really anything left to do in the day for the players, so they aren't in a rush to get anywhere. There are a lot of open locker rooms during the week where the locker rooms open right before practice, so all the players are in a rush to get out of there. The Friday practice is after the Friday open locker room is after practice, so guys have a lot of time to to sit around and talk. So that's when you get a lot of time to BS with players. So um, it, but I'll put it like this. I don't know, you know, that, that Bosa was, was going to do the, the flag waving uh, planting thing. Um, but it was definitely on his mind. <laughs> I'll put it like that. And he came out and lambasted Baker Mayfield after the game um, to, to the media and his scrum. And we actually have some, some audio of it, Kyle, if, if you could cue that up for us. Yeah, let me let me just get it here. Hang on. He had it coming uh, during the game. I was like, Baker, Baker, come on, Baker, step it up. We want a challenge. So he had it coming. <laughs> Was it? That's so good. Uh, so Nick Bosa. Two sacks probably should have been credited with three. There are screenshots going around the internet. I know 49ers team reporter Kiana Martin made made the very strong case with a picture she posted on Twitter today about the fact that Mayfield's knee was down. Um, so I think I saw Pro Football Focus tweeted out that Nick Bosa's performance was the best pass rushing performance in the PFF era, which I think goes back what? Uh, I actually don't know how far it goes back. 2006, I think. 2006. Okay, so Monday's okay. performance was the best pass rushing performance 
in the pro football focus era, which I know a lot of people don't love pro football focus. I know now a lot of different outlets have their own analytics and, and a lot of them can, a lot of them differ just in terms of the numbers and, and defining what a pressure is. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Also impressive is, is Bosa's game against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers was number two on that list or number three. So two of Bosa's first four NFL games or some of the best pro football focus has ever tracked from a pass rushing standpoint, which seems like a pretty good sign from uh, from a rookie. Yeah, and it's exactly what the 49ers needed out of Bosa. Like with with what the the 49ers have done under John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan through their first two off seasons and then this one, they were really banking on Nick Bosa being really good at football. If he was even just mediocre, like none of this would be working on defense. So may, maybe some of it, but they wouldn't be as dominant as they are on defense. But part of the reason the Browns couldn't get anything going last night is because they could not block Nick Bosa. They they couldn't. It, it didn't matter if they threw an extra tight end at him. It didn't matter if they doubled him with a guard and a tackle. It didn't matter if they kept a running back in the backfield. He was going through everyone and around everyone, and that's part of why he's so good because there's not one thing you can do to stop him. And if he's going to continue on this trajectory because he's four games in and had his first healthy game and completely wrecked everything the Browns were trying to do on offense. And it helped that the 49ers were ahead and the Browns had to play from behind and pass and they could pin their ears back and go, I get all that. But what we saw from Nick Bosa last night was exactly what the 49ers needed. They needed a home run with that pick and Nick Bosa looks like it through four games. Yeah, I need to correct myself. I, I went back and found the tweet. So it's the highest single game pass rush win rates by rookie edge defenders in the PFF era. So it's not overall uh, pass rush. I, I said it was overall any player. It, it was so Bosa's week five was the best of any rookie pass rusher. 36% win rate, which is damn good. And his, the, his other game that was mentioned, that's number three on that list, was week one against the Buccaneers. He had a 28% win rate. So I apologize for those mistakes. Point being... Nick Bosa has dramatically changed this defense in a way that I, I don't even know that that any of us expected it. I think you and I expected Nick, Nick Bosa to be good, uh, maybe really good right away. But but this is the the way he's been playing so far, and I know it hasn't been against the best competition. And and we'll have that discussion in terms of where the 49ers stand in, in terms of the rest of the league and how we view them and the opponents they've played. We'll talk about that later, but. Nick Bosa could be a star from the jump, like maybe like an all pro level type star if he can stay healthy. Um, just with with the way he's transformed this defense and if the 49ers maintain this trajectory where they could, in fact, be competing for the NFC West title that, you know, the division features the the reigning N NFC champions. I mean, the Niners are have gone from a cellar dweller, a team that's lost at least 10 games for four straight seasons to maybe an elite team really quick. Um, and, and all the numbers back it up. Like w whether you want to talk about standard metrics or whether you want to talk about DVOA, uh, football outsiders DVOA ha has the 49ers as the number one team in the NFL. And their game Monday against the Browns was the best performance from a, from a DVOA perspective this season. And the 49ers are actually the uh, sixth best team According to uh, DVOA, through since 1986, through four games, um, so the advanced 
metrics really love the 49ers. You go through where the 49ers rank overall. They're the second highest scoring team, fourth in total offense. They're the fourth best scoring defense and the second best total defense. Uh, they lead the NFL in takeaway percentage, so drives that that end in takeaways. Um, that's obviously a very good statistic. And, and that's on defense, not on offense. Yeah, on defense. <laughs> Offensively, I mean, their Achilles heel is, is turnovers. And that that's really their biggest weakness right now. And we'll talk about the other things that, that the 49ers, that we don't know about them. But, I mean, it, it's, you know, we're past the point where, okay, the 49ers – haven't played anybody good, so we still don't really know. I do think there is some element to that, but I think a lot of those questions are going to be answered or have the potential to get answered when the 49ers go play the Rams on Sunday on a short week. Yeah. Um, but Kyle, what, just overall, what are your broad impressions of the 49ers through four games now? An important thing to remember, and you brought it up early there, was they've lost 10 straight games in, in what is it, four straight seasons? Yeah, at least 10. I think it's really important to remember and when assessing the team this year, because the reason nobody's pointing to the Patriots strength of schedule is because we know the Patriots are good. We saw them do it as recently as last year, the Cowboys, they were good last year. Nobody cared that they were three and zero against three bad teams because we saw them be good last year. The 49ers were supposed to be a fringe playoff team last year. Like they were supposed to win eight, nine, if everything went right, 10 games. They lose their quarterback three games into the season. It's a lost year. They go out and trade for D Ford. They added a number two overall pick to a team that probably was going to win eight or nine games last year. The level of talent that they added to the roster they had is abnormal. Outside of, you know, trading up in the draft. They probably should have been picking in the, the early teens. And they picked second and got a. I don't want to. I don't want to be hyperbolic here to where it takes away from the point. Um, got an All-Pro caliber player on on a defensive line that already had two first-round picks on it, and then they added another All-Pro caliber player in D Ford through a trade, and you get Debo Samuel at number thirty-six early in the second round. You get another year of George Kittle. You get Jimmy Garoppolo back healthy. And now all of a sudden, like the 49ers weren't a four and twelve team last year. Like they just like talent-wise, they weren't. And we're seeing that this year. And that's why this jump isn't when you zoom out and you take everything into account. It's not that surprising. Regardless of the talent level of the teams they've played, regardless of the talent level of the secondary last year, like they made the proper adjustments to take what was an eight or nine win team to a 12 or 13 win team. And we're seeing that through four weeks. They have the they have a plus 70 point differential. That's the second best in the league. And the distance between them and third place is the same as the difference between third place and 15th place. They are way ahead of everybody in, in point differential. So even if you want to point to their strength of schedule or the, the teams they've played, like they are crushing teams. Like these games haven't, they haven't, they haven't really, I mean, the, the Steelers game was close, but they haven't had a close game otherwise yet. And that's what good teams do is they, they smash teams that are worse than them. And the 49ers are doing that. And that's based on the eye test. And that's based on every metric, both standard and advanced. So the 49ers have 
sort of remade their identity, and and a lot of it is based off how good the defense is. Uh, and Kyle Shanahan talked about it after the game, and in, in that it's the easiest way to win games is playing good defense and and being able to run the ball well. So the 49ers rush for 275 yards. It's the second time this year that they've had a massive rushing performance. They did they did the same thing against the, the Bengals in Week Two. They outgained the Browns 446 to 180. They ran the ball 40 times. They held Baker Mayfield to 100 yards passing on a 36% completion percentage. Uh, He had two interceptions, no touchdowns, two fumbles, one lost, a 13.4 quarterback rating, which is the worst of his career. Just an incredibly dominant performance from the defense. And it's something that harkens back to the Jim Harbaugh era when the 49ers were playing with a similar, similar formula. Now, it looks completely different. Uh, for a myriad of reasons, just in terms of what the 49ers are doing schematically, but it's the same brand. It's be physical in the ground game, do a lot of stuff through play action and play really good defense and be really difficult to beat. But they're doing it in a different era, which is interesting because everybody talks about, you know, the NFL is a pass happy league. Well, the 49ers are are kind of zigging in in the opposite direction and and it's working for them because of just how Kyle Shanahan has constructed the offense. So everything that he does, and we talk about it all the time, is based off the running game. There's there's play action. Um, there's outside zone runs that can be demoralizing when, when you can't stop it. And that's what happened on Monday night. So, I mean, it really started from the beginning. The Browns get one first down on their first snap. Uh, they end up punting. Then they get Matt Breida's touchdown on the first play from scrimmage, an 83-yard run that was blocked perfectly by Kyle Juszczyk, Justin School, Lakin Tomlinson, and George Kittle. Uh, and then Baker Mayfield comes back a, a snap later and throws an interception to Richard Sherman caused by, or in part caused by pressure from Nick Bosa. And then from there, the 49ers just start rolling. They, they score another touchdown. They force a punt. Uh, DeForest Buckner forces a fumble that Bosa recovers. I mean, it, it was just, it, it was a very apparent by the second quarter that the 49ers were going to roll the Browns because the Browns simply could not block the 49ers front four. And it looks like the 49ers front four right now might be one of the best, if not the best in the entire NFL with the way they're playing. And I think the defensive metrics point to that. Uh, I mentioned you know, what the 49ers are doing against against the rush. Like, they're only allowing – I need to go through the numbers here. They're allowing 3.8 yards per carry, and they're the only team in the NFL that hasn't allowed a rushing touchdown. And I think it became clear in that game that their number one mandate against Cleveland was to stop uh, Nick Chubb more so than Odell Beckham Jr., who still only had two catches for 27 yards. And this is another point, too. What good teams do is if they have injuries or changes in the lineup, they can throw guys in. And because the infrastructure is strong enough that there isn't a huge drop off, right? Like nobody's going to say Justin school is better than Joe Staley. Uh, but Justin school came in and there really wasn't any drop off, particularly in, in the way the 49ers run block. Now what you have to do when you have Justin school is do a lot of short, quick passes and ensure you're not leaving him on an island to get some some of those premier edge rushers too frequently. But what you can do is run the ball really well, do a lot of quick game, and you're not going to notice 
Justin School being out there in place of Joe Staley. And the 49ers, from an offensive line perspective, and I don't know that they're the most talented offensive line right now, but all the metrics are saying the Niners have one of the best offensive lines in football because their sack rate, sacks allowed on, on dropbacks, is the lowest in the league. And a lot of that has to do with the way Kyle Shanahan schemes it. A lot of it has to do with Jimmy Garoppolo's ability to get rid of the ball quickly. Um, so you just look at it from building from the inside out. And the 49ers do need more from their skill position players, particularly their receivers. But We can talk about that. But in the trenches right now, the 49ers are winning, both on the offensive side and the defensive side. And to me, yeah. when you look at how bad the Seahawks are on the offensive line, how bad the Rams are on the offensive line, in conjunction with how good the 49ers are, you know, on their offensive line and defensive line. Like I'm convinced that they have the best combination of, of, you know, offensive and defensive line in the division. And I think that gives them a huge leg up for this NFC West race. Yeah. And you mentioned the Jim Harbaugh 49ers. That's where they started building. They started building in the trenches. They started with Mike Iupati and, and and Anthony Davis and Alex Boone and Jonathan Goodwin like that unit was so good and I don't think that this offensive line is as talented as that group but they execute so well um Joe Staley told the story of of Kyle Shanahan on the first play turning around before the handoff was even executed and said that's a touchdown it was the uh, it was Kittle's touchdown in the in the second half oh was it yeah so Shanahan saw the Shanahan saw the splits of the safeties. And as soon as this, so the safeties were, were doing a coverage where they're each playing towards the sideline, look towards a boundary. And Kittle was lined up on the in line on the left side uh, by Justin school. And all he had to do was blow past the linebacker. And because the safeties were going towards the sidelines, they left the middle of the field wide open. And all Jimmy Garoppolo had to do was take the snap, wait a beat or two for, for Kittle to run past the linebacker and Kittle was wide open. And basically <laughs> Kyle Shanahan, as soon as the ball was snapped, turned around and said touchdown similar. It was like it was the coaching equivalent to Steph Curry shooting a three and then turning away and running back down right. the court because, you know, it was good. Like that's that's essentially what Kyle Shanahan did on the sideline. And Joe Staley was right there and, and he had a hilarious reaction to it that <laughs> that he told us in the locker room afterwards. So to to the point about the 49ers offensive line, though, they're executing so well both in in the passing game and the running game so they may not be the most talented group in the league but Kyle Shanahan's done such a good job of putting them in a position to succeed and we see that with and I'm not comparing Kyle Shanahan to Bill Belichick but that's what Bill Belichick does so well is he takes teams that aren't the most talented but schemes them up in such a way that those guys all play at a high level and that's what the 49ers are doing right now to the point where when you see their formula and you you talk about rushing the passer, running the football, is there a team in the NFL like when you when you look across the entire landscape of the NFL, it's like what team don't they match up with? What team are you going into a game thinking that hey, you know what, the 49ers just don't have a chance this week. There's there's not one, FYI. Like they they they're not going to go 16 and 0. They're going to lose some games. But when you look at the sustainability of what they're doing, it's it's extremely sustainable. They're not doing anything right now that I don't foresee them doing in week 15, 16, and 17. Well, I do think they, they do have a few issues, and, and they haven't been tested in, in a few different ways. But we'll, we'll talk about that after we take a quick break. 
Following a team you love in 2019 can be time consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and the NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. Sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered direct- directly to you. Sign up at axiosports.com. Again, try for free 99 at sports.axios.com. Free 99? That's like stealing. Love Axios. Hey, Kyle, as you know, humans have been shaving for thousands of years. And the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles and neither do you yeah you definitely don't need flex balls that's why harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors they focus on delivering what actually matters sharp durable blades at a fair price i use harry's a lot um i don't go clean shave i do a lot of like trimming like trimming of the neck and like the neck is clean but i'll leave some some stubble on the face so i look like yeah you rock a good rusty I, I don't know hair. about that but I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave, easy glide at a low price. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash blue wire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. Harry's is just super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door and on your schedule without a subscription. And there's no risk to, there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of our show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated. Kyle, I'm sure you're very familiar with aloe at this point and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to start shaving better today. All right. So like we mentioned, and, and people will get riled up at, at the idea that, okay, the 49ers haven't played anybody, yada, yada, yada. Um, as somebody who writes about the team daily, and Kyle, I, I know you you deal with this too, but it's our job to provide context and analysis to what the team is doing. So to simply say the team is winning, they're infallible, everything's perfect, is a disingenuous way to cover the team and a way that doesn't serve the reader at all because it just gives the reader what they want to hear without the necessary context to what they're doing. So depending on how you feel about the Browns, you could make the argument that the 49ers haven't played anybody particularly good yet. And yes, I did ascribe to that theory that, you know, we, we don't really know what the 49ers are after they won their first three games. Now I do think the 49ers are, are a bit more legitimate or, I mean, I think they're very legitimate at this point because of the way they've done it. And I think you look through their four games, I think the only real indictment you could say about the way they've played so far 
is the five the five takeaway or the five turnovers against the Steelers and allowing the Steelers to be in that game despite nearly doubling them up in yardage and first downs, moving the ball, dominating defensively. Uh, the 49ers should have blown the Steelers out, but the Steelers were kept in the game by the fact that the 49ers gave the ball away five times uh, and made it a lot harder on themselves. To this point in the season, that's the only that that's the only knock on them that I could that I could realistically give. And so to look at the four games and the way the 49ers are going right now and all the numbers that back up how good they are, you can say, okay, they're taking care of business against bad teams, right? Like even if you don't believe the Browns are any good, then yeah, the 49ers did what you're supposed to do against a bad team if you want to consider yourself a good team. That's blow them out early on and to, to the point where they don't have a chance after halftime. The Browns had that, that interception they gave away in, in the red zone. Uh, I think it was in the second quarter. They didn't get past midfield for the rest of the game. Like it was, it was a completely dominating performance from the 49ers offensive line. And yeah, there's probably a lot on Cleveland side that goes into that. But the point being context is very important when you're trying to evaluate where teams stand. Right. So I think it was completely fair and still is fair to say the 49ers haven't been completely tested yet. On the other hand, Beating Cincinnati like a drum on their home field in their home opener is impressive. Like, regardless, like if you're a good team, you go beat a bad team like the 49ers did. So that's what you're supposed to do if you're a good team. They did the same thing against the Browns. They struggled because of those five turnovers against Pittsburgh. And they had an uneven game offensively against Tampa Bay, who actually looks better than a lot of people look expected and that defense might actually be really good and the 49ers still won that game by 14 thanks largely to the two interception returns they had for touchdowns which were in part created by the pass rush so we're to the point now and I wrote about this going into Monday's game that the 49ers obviously is one of the only remaining elite teams I think they've answered the bell in terms of yeah they're good they belong and at this point I would consider it a massive failure if they didn't win somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 or 11 games and make the playoffs if because that's the bar they set for themselves right now they look so good through their first four games beating up on teams that they should beat up on if you want to be in that class in that caliber of of contention like that's the bar now so we have to judge the 49ers uh, all right if you're this good then you need to win 10 11 12 games and go to the playoffs because otherwise you're underachieving yeah, and especially when you look at their schedule, because and this is why looking at the schedule in in June and July is so is so silly because you just never know. Like that Browns game looked really daunting for the 49ers going into the year, and and we saw what happened on Monday night. That Panthers game at home all of a sudden looks much less daunting. Um, the game in Baltimore that's going to be a tough game, but the Ravens have looked beatable the last couple of weeks. The Falcons, the uh, game at, at Levi Stadium. The Falcons look terrible this year, and Dan Quinn may not even be the head coach by the time uh, the Falcons and 49ers play late in the season. So there are wins on the table on the on their schedule, and I'm I'm right there with you. I, after three and zero, I was still uh, on the brakes a little bit uh, in terms of in terms of trying to project their win total, but but now there's no reason, barring injury, that they that they shouldn't be in that 10, 11, 12 win range and and competing for a division title. So here's what happened hasn't to the what, so here's what hap, hasn't happened to the 49ers. Easy for me to say. Um 
they haven't gotten like blitzed early on yet. Like they haven't had that game that even Jim Harbaugh's teams had where, you know, you go into halftime down 24 to 10 uh, because you just get, you, you just get sort of steamrolled in the first half, sort of a buzzsaw type game that happens on the road in the league, right? Like you go play and it, it could have happened to the Browns. It could have just been a buzzsaw game for the Browns and, and maybe the Browns are going to be a lot better going forward in different circumstances. But, you know, like the, the NFC title game in, in 2012 or after the 2012 season when the 49ers went to Atlanta and Atlanta got out to that big lead in the first half and then the 49ers were able to claw back we haven't seen the 49ers claw back yet. And so if there is an Achilles heel on this team, it, it, it's turnovers, obviously. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo has four interceptions in four games. And Monday's game was the first time the 49ers didn't turn the ball yeah. around all year. The 49ers are, are eighth worst in the NFL in terms of drop, percentage of drives that end in turnovers. So that is still a problem for them. And I know it's still a relatively small sample size that's skewed heavily by that five turnover game against the Steelers. Even still, Garoppolo has a knack for giving the ball away, and his receivers haven't exactly helped him. Dante Pettis had a bad drop. Uh, Debo Samuel had a bad drop. And and I don't want to read too much in, into those plays in particular because the 49ers are running the ball the entire game, and it didn't really matter what Jimmy Garoppolo did through the air, and that's sort of their identity now. But there are going to be times where they're going to have to score 21 points and a half in a second half to come back and win a game. And they're not just going to be able to run the ball 40 times to do so. They're going to have to open things up through the air and they're going to have to get a big receiving game from somebody other than George Kittle or a running back running screens uh, if they're going to win some of these games. So I'm very curious to see what happens in Sunday against the Rams. And we'll preview the Rams game later in the week. But the Rams are coming off two straight losses. They played last on a Thursday night. So they're going to have 10, 10 days to prepare for this game. And so the Rams, there's a very good chance on their home field are going to come out like gangbusters on the 49ers, knowing that the 49ers are going to be one of the most hyped teams, if not the most hyped team in the NFL, just from an outside perspective going into that game. And the Rams are going to say, well, what about us? We're the defending NFC champs. We're really good too. And we haven't been good for a while, but we've, we, we've stewed on these losses enough. And we know that we can't fall behind three games in the division standings if we still want to win this division, right? So I'm expecting the Rams to come out hot uh, in, in Sunday at the Coliseum. And I'm very curious to see if the 49ers can respond because we just haven't seen it from them yet. And we haven't seen them win on the back of Jimmy Garoppolo just yet. Uh, it was relatively easy in Cincinnati Garoppolo played really well in that Pittsburgh game. The turnovers weren't all his fault, obviously. Garoppolo played well enough against Cleveland. The 49ers didn't need much from him, but he did struggle in that opener against Tampa. And it, yeah, it was his it was his first game back from that MC, ACL injury, but we just don't know if the 49ers can come back yet. And so that if there's a test that I want to see the 49ers pass before I'm, I'm totally convinced that they actually should be a contender, maybe, you know, for to go deep into the playoffs. I need to see them do that and win in, in ways where they have to deviate from this formula where they're just pounding the ball on the ground and relying heavily on their defense. And it could be that their defense is just good enough to where they, they never are in that position to, to need to come back. So we'll have to see what, what, what do you think the 49ers need to still need to work on or still have to show you going forward for you to, for you to feel better about them? 
I think that's it. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Jimmy Garoppolo has to show that his 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 season high in pass attempts this year was 32. He has to show that he can be efficient and stay mistake free if he has to throw it 45 or 50 times. We've seen that he can he can average eight, nine yards an attempt. And if he can do that across 40 throws or 45 throws, the 49ers offense will be in good shape if they fall behind by two scores. But if he's going to continue to be uh, sloppy with the football and 40 or 45 throws means four or five interceptions, that's that's a significant problem because when you get into the postseason and you're going to go on the road, you're going to find yourself in that position inevitably at some point. And if they can't rely on their quarterback to put the team on his shoulders for 25 minutes of football, they're they're gonna have they're gonna have problems getting over the hump. But if they're down a score with two minutes left and they have the ball on their own twenty, I, I think you feel pretty good about about Garoppolo and and his ability to to bring them back in that scenario. So my bigger concern for them right now, and it's something we haven't really touched on, is the Kyle Yuschek injury. I was I was trying to figure out a way we could segue to that. Good good work. Well, I just did. Run with your point. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> So Kyle Juszczyk, it was announced today, sprained his MCL on Monday night, uh, late in the game. Was it late third quarter? Yeah, late third quarter, he, he sprained his MCL. He's out four to six weeks, although Tom Pelissero of NFL Media tweeted that the 49ers are hoping he can, he can beat that four-week timetable and come back a little bit sooner. But he is so valuable to the 49ers offense and what they do out of two back sets. I think it was Nick Wagner at ESPN tweeted that uh, the 49ers in 22 personnel and 21 personnel. 22 is two running backs, two tight ends. 21 is two running backs, one tight end. Uh, they averaged nine and a half yards per play out of those formations against the Browns. Like that is Kyle Shanahan's bread and butter is those two back sets with Kyle Juszczyk and not having him there as a lead blocker as an offensive weapon in the slaughter split out wide and confusing defenses is going to be a challenge for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers to overcome. Not saying they can't do it, but their offense, I think, is going to look a little bit different against the Rams, and they may have to lean on Jimmy Garoppolo uh, to help them to help them rip off some chunk plays that that they're going to be missing with with you check out. Yeah, and and we touched on a little bit the 49ers ability to plug in guys like Emmanuel Mosley and Justin School who have played well to this point. But the Niners do not have a backup fullback. There's no fullback on the roster, there's no fullback on the practice squad. They have a bunch of tight ends who theoretically could play fullback. And we saw George Kittle and Ross Dwelly uh line up in in the backfield a little bit and they can do some of those things, but it's not going to look the same. Um, like Matt Breida's opening game opening run, the 83 yard touchdown was a perfect example of how valuable Kittle is. You can you can move Kittle around. He's such a smart player that he knows exactly which angles he needs to hit blocks at. Um, he's athletic enough to where he can beat linebackers in in coverage as a pass catcher. Um, he he can block anybody. He can block defensive ends. He can block safeties. Um, he's just an extremely valuable player for this 49ers offense, evident by how well they run the ball while he's in the game. I'm very curious to the splits. I don't I don't have access to this information, but I'm very I'm very curious to the running splits, like how 
the yards per carry the 49ers have with Kyle Juszczyk on the field versus when he's not on the field. Because I'm, I would imagine there's a very stark contrast there. But it's going to take... It, it's going to take Kyle Shanahan getting pretty creative to figure this thing out. And and if there is a coach in the league who can do it, I I, I think it's him. It's going to be really difficult. And, and maybe the 49ers have to make a roster move. Maybe it's Daniel Helm. Um, I don't think Ross Dwelly is a particularly good blocker. I think Levine Toilolo is a very good blocker, but he's like a real inline blocker, like a Garrett Selleck type, somebody you line up next to a tackle and use them that way. What like Kyle Juszczyk is fast and he can get out in space and block guys ahead of your fast running backs. Levine Toilolo is not that guy. George Kittle right. might be that guy, but are you sort of are you, are you taking away from the passing game by trying to utilize George Kittle as a fullback? I think there will be an element of that to George Kittle's game now. Um, but I I don't think you want to take George Kittle out of his current role because he's so good at that tight end H back stuff that yeah. he's already doing. Um, I think that makes the 49ers worse in too many areas. If there's a bright side to it, it's that the 49ers can go into the Rams game doing a whole bunch of different stuff that they haven't put on film before. So yeah. they could run different versions of the same stuff with different personnel that could make things a whole lot harder on the Rams. That's the silver lining to it. But you're doing it on a short week against presumably still one of the better teams in the conference um, against Wade Phillips, who's still one of the best defensive coordinators in the league against a very talented Rams defense that still includes two really good cornerbacks and Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib and that guy, Aaron Donald, number 99 in the middle, who might be the best player in the NFL full stop. So it's going to be a fascinating game from, from that standpoint. And we also should point out like, the Niners have lost a starter to injury in each of their four games. And yep. at some point, like that's just not sustainable. And and I know injuries are random and, and mostly fluky and unlucky and all those things, but like they, they just need to stop losing starters <laughs> to yep. injuries. Like there's, there's no real analysis I, I can provide from that because that's, I think that's the easiest way this thing can get derailed is if they lose more key players to injuries uh, the, the good news, though, is none of these injuries to, to their key starters ha- are season enders. Like they're still expecting Trent Taylor to come back. They're still expecting Jalen Hurd to come back. Joe Staley is going to miss a few more games. He's either going to play. Uh, he's thinking maybe, depending on how the bone heals, maybe that October 31st game against the Arizona Cardinals. If not, maybe the week after that, the Monday night game against the Seahawks, which would be a, a prime time, a prime game for him to come back. Excuse that terrible pun. Um, but yeah, like the, the Niners are losing guys, but they haven't lost anybody for the season. And and even Kyle Juszczyk is going to come back at some point in mid-November uh, with his MCL sprain. So they have. Hey, real quick, real quick. Yeah. Uh, I've got some numbers for you on Kyle Juszczyk. Yes. Fullback statistics. Turn Turn the volume up. I can't specify. <laughs> Where's my snare? <laughs> uh, no, I, according to, to Sharp Football Stats, the 49ers in 21 personnel this year, so two running backs, one tight end. I'm assuming a majority of that is Kyle Juszczyk is the second running back. The 49ers average four and a half yards per carry. 
Um, in 22 personnel, two running backs, two tight ends, assuming that Kyle Juszczyk is that second running back again. The Niners average five yards per carry. What about with Juszczyk off the field? Like 12 personnel uh, or, or 13? 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. It's 3.6. Uh, 11 personnel, which the 49ers use 39% of the time. The league average is 62%. Right. Um, they're at 5.2 yards per carry out of out of that personnel package. So I think we'll see uh, a lot of 21 and a lot of 11 with, with use checkout. And if you are using a lot of 11, that's going to stress your receiving core. You're going to need Dante Pettis to do more than what he did on Monday. Same with Debo Samuel. Those guys combine for two catches for 14 yards and those are your two second round picks over the last two seasons so um i do think marquise goodwin had a nice game and, and some of jimmy garoppolo's best throws were, were those out cutting routes to goodwin along the sideline he had a few on third down uh george kittle six reception 70 yards about what you would expect from him at, at minimum at this point um it dawned on me like when Jimmy Garoppolo was throwing passes at George Kittle short of the sticks in the second half. There was a third quarter uh, on that one drive. I think it led to a field goal attempt. Um, Kittle just running through like multiple defensive backs. Like it got in my head. I was like, all right, George Kittle is, is not only like one of the best tight ends in the league, if not the best, he's one of the best players in the league. He's because yes. I don't know what, like what's his weakness? Like what can you, what, what do you need to do on a football field that George Kittle cannot excel at for you? And I don't think there's anything. And I think he's just com- like one of the best players in the league. And I don't have, I, and I know I probably sound like a homer saying that, but I don't really care because I think I, that's just my opinion. No, <laughs> no, I think if you objectively go through and, and you look at that and we don't obviously have numbers, we haven't done a ton of research on that, but you saying that doesn't come across as something uh, outrageous to me. I'm sure there are people who will shout you down and talk about the value of tight ends over the value of quarterbacks and pass rushers and all that. But I think just pound for pound, uh, if Kittle's not top 10, I think he has to be in the conversation. Correct. Um, how about, how about this? How about this point we, that we haven't talked about, which is, which is great podcast fodder. Yeah. Uh, based on one game, an extremely small sample size. It looks like the 49ers made the right decision in not dealing the number two overall pick or a package, including the number two overall pick for to the New York giants for Odell Beckham jr. Discuss. Great point. Couldn't agree more. I thought that was the case before last night, just uh, because of uh, just of team need. And, and what we talked about earlier, the 49ers are going to be a run heavy team and adding Odell Beckham. I don't think, uh, necessarily makes them that much better offensively. What Nick Bose has done defensively has has been has been game changing for the 49ers. That's not to take anything away from Odell Beckham. He's a very talented player, and their receiving core would absolutely take an Odell Beckham. But I don't think they would trade Nick Bosa for Odell Beckham even now. Um, so I, I I think that that was the right call in the moment, and and I think that's going to continue to to be the case throughout the year. Yeah, they have a top five offense without Odo Beckham Jr. And one of the best defenses in the league, largely because they have Nick Bosa on top yeah. of whatever else it would have taken. So I know it's early and and maybe that changes. Um, I don't think it's going to. I think given the financial constraints because of Beckham's contract, I think because you get Nick Bosa on a rookie deal over the next five years, um, 
I think our our takes, our, our scorching hot takes throughout the offseason about the 49ers holding on to that pick and not trading for Beckham, I think are holding up early on. So that's positive. Also, shout out to us. Yeah. Also, the Nick Bosa versus uh, Quinn and Williams debate, I think, is decidedly in favor of Bosa through through four games. Williams doesn't have a sack yet, and the Jets aren't very good. Um, That's a great point. I haven't done a ton of research to back up that tape. Maybe maybe the numbers aren't reflecting super well on Williams, and um, because I haven't watched any Jets so far, that I'm I'm just ignorant on the subject. But I do think Bosa is better than Williams right now. He has only played in two games. Okay, so there's there's plenty of time. I don't I don't want to I don't want to gloat too much about that one because I do think Williams is going to be a very good player. Quinn Williams still has a chance to be very good. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're way above taking victory laps on this pod. <clears throat> Just doing a stretch. I think we should. I think we should take a victory lap about the fact we don't take victory laps. So shout out to us for being so humble. Uh, all right, I think that's going to wrap it up for this Tuesday edition of our podcast. We'll have another one up later in the week, previewing the 49ers' trip to play the Rams of Los Angeles. Uh, we will talk to you then. Kyle, it's good to have you back. I missed you. Uh, stop going on vacation in, in the middle of the season, right? All right. Sounds good. Talk to you guys next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.